Yo, 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 yo. It's the pastor with no answers, Joey Svensson. Good to be back in your ears today, my friend, Hayne Griffin, who you will hear from on this podcast, actually. He joked around and asked me, hey, why do you bleep out the F word? It's, uh, we all know exactly what was just said. <laughs> and I I don't know. I, I don't know. I actually do like the beep better. And it just seems to be we are still in a stage where that word is kind of like crossing a line. Not for me, not for my mouth. I don't really care. But there's just something in me that says, you know what? What the hell? Just bleep out the F word. But ironically, you all know what was just said. It's that, you know, I did a podcast episode 176, Jesus Saved My Ass. And I just talked about how the whole cussing thing is just so stupid. You'll have to listen to it to get the full picture. But let me just give you one ex- a couple of examples. The word hell. If someone gets the job that they wanted, shut the hell up, man. That is so awesome. See, you just used the word hell in a very awesome, loving way. Now, if someone says something to you and makes you mad and you say, go to hell, man. Now, see, you didn't act in love. You used that word inappropriately. See, it's all about the heart. Now, check this one out. My parents in 2021 say, that sucks. This sucks. That person sucks. <laughs> Rewind 20 years, 30 years, 1991. If I said that in my house under their roof, I got in trouble. You know why? Well, because when they were growing up as youngsters, when you said something sucks, it actually means something perverted and sexual, and it is offensive when you put that all together and you tell someone that they suck. Oh, but here we are. A lot of time has gone by, and things have changed. That's because words are not inherently evil. Of course. Of course. Hey, so I want to give a shout out to a dear couple, Andy and Megan. I won't use their last names because I didn't get their permission, but man, personal friends of mine, and they went to the Venmo link in the show notes and handed me quite a sum of money. I'm very appreciative. It really is helping out with a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes, a lot of stuff which will be pretty much surfacing publicly in September. I also want to give a shout out to some of our patrons. We have a brand new patron. Actually, he's an old school patron, but he came back as a patron, Ben Archer. He's actually a friend of mine. When I was in Bad Christian, he took me to the airport to go home. Nice guy. Love him dearly. And I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons. I'll spread it out through the course of a few episodes. But we have DD Guest, Travis Wolf, Steven, Adele, Dinsham, Roger Kaloff, Dominique Ruggiero, Mike Kakan, you guys with these names, Davis Johnson, Jerry Roselle, Javier Arroyo. Thank y'all so much from the bottom of my heart. 
You guys are very, very dear to me. Last but not least, when you give to Pastor With No Answers through Patreon, we give half of it to an opportunity through Donor Seat, and we just helped Berlinda from Haiti finish the second grade this year. It costs money to go to school in Haiti, and they, her family didn't have the money to finish it up. Oh, so we just threw $75 over at Haiti, all of us as patrons, and help Berlinda go to the second, or finish the second grade. So thank y'all for that. Love you guys. Here is Ellen and Hank Griffin, and then you'll hear from the one and only Phil Drysdale. Peace out, everybody. You know, I took a, a, a suicide prevention class through through yeah. work, and the, the the teacher opened up the class with the picture of the falling man yeah. from the World Trade Center. Oh wow! And her question was, did he commit suicide? Wow. Because he actively jumped out. He chose to jump out of the window. And her whole point was what was behind him, what was burning behind him, seemed worse. Uh. That was worse than the prospect of jumping out of the building knowing he would die. That's an intense. That's intense. It was very intense. But her her point was you have to understand that people who are contemplating this, they feel like they're in that burning building. Right. And sometimes, you have to be at that place. And, and biggest thing I've learned in the last few years of uh, talking about suicide is uh, that people often don't plan it. Right. It's just like a. Right. I think now feels right right now, and that's it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, Hayne, I mean, I I can I can vouch for that from experience. Like I. Yeah. What what got me stuck into the hospital was I I told the psychiatrist in the emergency room that if it wasn't for my kids I would do it. But I can't yep. do that to my kids. So for them it was like you need to stay. And mm. I cannot believe that so I, I got out of the hospital and I cannot believe that I actually got to a point where I was like, This is my only option. Like this is this is the best possible thing that I can do. And gosh, I, that, that gosh, that's so interesting because I don't think of the jumper as committing suicide. I see that person from, they're making a choice. I don't want to die the most painful way. Right. But yeah. Wow. And here's what threw me for a loop, Ellen, with what you said is when, when Darren Patrick committed suicide, he was someone that I'd gotten to know a little bit. And he literally was with a friend and they they were doing some shooting. And I mean, he had had conversations with people like that day had led a class the day before and things he was talking about the future. And to this day, I don't know if he just all of a sudden thought this is just too easy. I have it in my hand right now. And I would mm-hmm. just rather do this because from my experience, it took me a really long time to get there. And I sure as hell wasn't having fun with a friend. I didn't want to be around anybody. And so it kind of blew my paradigm of suicide up because I was like, okay, now I understand what it feels like to be there. But then obviously 
like a dummy. I just thought, okay, well then that's what it's like for everybody. And I saw hmm. your your catch there with your phrasing. What what did what? I, saw, I saw you catch catch yourself there. Nice with your wording. I appreciate. What do you think I was going to say? Well, you blew, blew, often people don't say blew, you know I that blew my paradigm. Oh, but gotcha. In this, in this case, it's appropriate to you know what you that must have been the Holy Spirit, Alan. That must have been the Holy Spirit. That was a good catch, Alan. That was yeah. a really good. Well, catch. Well, that's crazy because you, you too, actually Jill. you actually brought it forward. I I avoided it, but then you brought attention to it. So it's kind of like I just said it anyway. It's kind of messed yeah, up. Yeah, sorry. That's kind of what I always do to you. Know? That's kind of messed <laughs> up. Hey, so Hayne, I don't know if you know this or not, but and when I when I thought about you coming on this podcast, it was a no brain. I was like, oh man, that'll be fun. Hayne will be fun. But you're a replacement, man. So it, it was going to be. Oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It was going to be Ellen and Rocky Rogio. She's the director. I don't of, even uh, know why he asked me to talk with Rocky. <laughs> but listen, listen, <laughs> listen to this. So once Rocky dropped out, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I think I think Ellen and I could have some good conversation. But Ellen, I thought the Billy Graham rule. I was like, I can't do it. Not in no. good. Conscience. <laughs> Too much temptation for me and you on Zoom together. Too much temptation. Here's a, a crazy. I'll I'll never do it, but I think a very funny idea for a podcast is to have uh, a Christian guy and a and a Christian uh, girl podcast together and talk about stuff that everybody's like they shouldn't be talking about this as a <laughs> that would be awesome that would be so awesome. Um, so hey, let me let me just dive into this, Ellen. You told me uh, a while back that you don't like sex. Tell us about that. <laughs> Why do you start every conversation with that? <laughs> because we've never talked about it. And then I feel bad and I'm like, eh, you don't have to talk about Listen, it. Listen, uh, I talked to my therapist about that today, actually. Well, my medicine's got me screwed up. So I'm I'm with you, but, but my medicine same. is the culprit. Yeah. yeah, there's it's it's one of those things where I've got two little kids. I have body trauma. I've got hmm. like I don't even like, I don't like looking at myself naked. I don't want anybody else to see me naked. And then I also, I'm going way back to like, like, I think maybe some porn exposure as a kid, like years of a lot of like disgusting, shameful, like hatred of porn. And then Mm. like getting into quote unquote, the mood kind of feels porny to me. Oh, wow. Mm. And it just feels disgusting and like I'm putting – like I have to put on some sort of show. There's just a lot of stuff that I'm trying to filter out. But when I first got married, before I had kids, before I was on medication, we went, you know, hog wild. Yeah. So I was just going to ask no you sh- – I was just going to ask you, has it always been that way? No, there was no shame. There was no guilt because mm. that was one thing that I prayed about before we got married because Cole was a virgin and I definitely was not. And I prayed that there would be no uh, shame or guilt going into our marriage with our, with our sex life. Yeah. And I was – we were so – it was awesome for the first few years. And then I was like, Ellen, we should have kids. Uh. Um <laughs> And then, you know, a couple of miscarriages and, uh, like, emergency surgeries. And there's just, like, a lot of stuff 
and I think that's got to have something to do with it. But but then also there's like the the whole getting into the mood show thing that I just it, yeah. rep, it like repulses me. Yeah. It repulses me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I need to see a sex therapist. I think. Because I know that it's a healthy, good, wonderful thing to do. Yeah. I disagree that men need sex. Yeah. That's a bunch of bullshit that I've been fed my whole life. Um, don't, and the whole, don't, like, guys don't need sex? No. No? No. You need food, News shelter, water, you know, <laughs> well, they at least they at least need to release. They expect it. That's no, no, different. No, 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 no. Hear me out. They at least I think need. I think it's healthy to release. So there's been times where I've listen. I, I don't mean you. I don't. You don't need a woman to do that. Duh. You have a hand. I I know. Okay. But need is a really relative word here, Joe. Have you? Like there's there's been time where I've uh, uh, we're we're just going crazy with this one. I want to hear about Hane's sex life. This would be the podcast that we shouldn't talk about. Right while here it is. Here it is. If Hane wasn't here right now, you and I would be in, in for some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but there's literally been times where uh, you know Priscilla is maybe even asleep reading a book, and I've got tons of tension like in my neck. I feel anxious anxiety and everything and it it is it's scientific that that sort of release can be a anxiety crusher it can relax your body i mean it's like taking a hit of something yeah but you don't need right. i mean you don't need it to survive okay which is okay you know which is but would you but you also don't need music to survive or you don't need really know, great you food to, to survive that come with christian women are bred to <laughs> Right. No. Nope. We don't like so. But there's this woman on TikTok that uh, she said uh, body autonomy is not a Christian value, and I was like, "What?" And then I thought, "Oh, she's totally right." Women are told hmm. that our bodies are God's. They don't belong to us. They belong to God until you get married, and then your body belongs to your husband. They never belong to us. Hmm. which is hmm. why parenting is really hard when you have little ones that are always touching you hmm. and drink literally sure. drinking you dry. Yeah. And so um, body autonomy is such a, a, a concept that Christians, I think that's a lot of the reasons, reason why that they're okay um, being so anti-abortion. I know hmm. there's the, the baby is a, a human portion of it but they don't care about the woman's right to choose or the body autonomy portion of it because body autonomy is not a christian value that's ever taught to women so so when that pro-choice pro-life argument comes up it is just like it's it's um it's natural for christian women to be like no it doesn't matter not it's not your body it's not about your body and it's, huh. I, I mean, that's not why I'm against abortion, but it, it made a lot of sense when she said that, because it's like, man, we've got a lot to unpack, which is why there's a lot of sexual shame, especially like if we're going to be talking about masturbation, like I didn't know well, well into my teens, even that girls even did that yeah, or girls could be addicted to porn. Yeah. Like these are things that was, mm. that were not presented to us because that's just not, you don't. You don't do that, period. Right. 
Right. Or when you're on your period. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, <laughs> but this took a turn, didn't it? No, it did take a turn. But cu- curiously, because talking about it not being a need, would you say that men are more visual than women are? That men are are stimulated sure. visually? Yeah, I mean, you guys yeah. can see some hot girl at the store, and then later right. that night, you can like pull that up in your. But is but is there something that? Um, Wow, we're getting really personal here. I mean, here. that's what I've been there, told, by the way. I don't. Sure. Well, that's true. As a guy, would you agree with that, Joey? Yes, and and I I I want to eventually get here in this conversation because we're we're already in this territory. I want to talk about whether or not male and female are, as a whole. I know there's exceptions, but as a yep. whole, are do they have some general differences? So I would say yes, Hayne. I think I think it's. I think it's like scientific. Most guys are visual, but I also know of some women that are visual and I know some men who are right. not visual. A- absolutely. So I'm, I'm speaking in, in a, in a generalization, yeah. not in a universal, yeah. you know, but curiously, because I do think that that creates, and I, and I, I think the word that you use is interesting, Ellen, like, do you need it? Yeah. That's interesting. Like the difference in need and want and desire, but for a guy to be visually turned on for a female and be as personal as you want to be. Is there something that turns you on that would create a desire that you would feel like needed to be satisfied? I'm so glad my husband didn't just walk in and hear that. <laughs> Me talking to two guys. Is there something that turns you on? Just, just tell her that you have two therapists now <laughs> and they're, and they're both guys. <laughs> I think I think from the East Coast. <laughs> I think for women, it's usually a lot more situational. It's sure. It's sort of like you know, like the danger and like the I shouldn't be doing this. And there's like you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to tell yeah. you what I'm into. No, no, no. But <laughs> let me ask this question. That's and, and that's totally personal. I'm glad you're not going to. You don't have to, to. Yeah, that's that would be really. Cole walks really in and like, insane. okay, there's this one movie with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> But when you have entered into those spaces, does it feel like a need, no. a want, no. a want? Well, sure. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like an yeah. itch that needs to be scratched for sure. Needs totally. to be okay. scratched. That's not what I. You don't need to scratch an itch to survive. <laughs> right. Uh, you covered your base on that one. Yes, listen, listen to you. Sure did. Listen to what my therapist told me because uh, when when I. Basically, what I'm doing right now is I'm in a really good place mental health-wise, but it's unfortunately has taken its toll on my sex life. My psychiatrist says, hey, every now and then, let's just bring your meds down, and that there would be a really good chance of that problem going away as long as your mental health doesn't take uh, a, a turn for the worse. My therapist, she's just like, yeah, you know, you're just too young to give up on this part. So let's just, let's, we got to keep working on this. And she actually told me, and I wonder if this, this is where we get with the male and female deal. I wonder if she would have given a female this sort of advice, but she literally said, you know, you may have to do stuff that you would have normally, normal Joey would have thought is very kinky and maybe even uncomfortable. You may need to do that kind of stuff. And I told Priscilla, and we both got kind of a, a chuckle out of it, but that would be disastrous, right? If your therapist, Ellen, told you, you know, you may just need to think kinky. 
Yeah, it's, we talked about the opposite thing today. <laughs> I was like, you know when you just want to like get it over with, turn the lights off, and just be like, okay, it's your birthday, right. enjoy. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, well, being in public safety, I've got connections to handcuffs. You guys let me know if you want me to send you <laughs> no. a pair. Here, here with Phil Drysdale, and one of the many interviews I do, I just kind of, I kind of creep on people's Instagrams. I guess you could. I don't stalk. I mean, it's not like I pester you guys. I just kind of observe and I learn a little bit, and my curiosity is picked a little bit. I'm like, I bet you they'd be kind of a fun person to talk to. I, I, I would call you, Phil. You seem like the deconstruction sensei. Like you go on your Instagram, <laughs> that's kind of your jam, right? Like that's kind of your main theme. And uh, it almost feels yeah. like you're resourcing people who are going that's through the goal. that sort of Trying stuff. Trying to help people that yeah. are going through that. Yep. Yeah. I was, I, so I journal a good bit. It's, it's interesting because a lot of my journaling is for the purpose of podcasting. It's like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> it's funny. It's like, I've been podcasting now since 2014. And so when you've been doing it that long, you're constantly thinking, hmm, that conversation I just had, that'd be good to bring up on a podcast. Hmm, I just observed <laughs> something. Hmm, I just saw somebody tweet something. It's like you're kind con- So I keep notes right. and everything. But man, just a little bit about me. I'm kind of on the other side of the scary deconstruction. Like I feel like I'm at peace. Mm-hmm. But there are some times, man, where I get... I'll just read from my journal. I still get scared shitless sometimes. Like sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what do I believe? Do I still believe? And dude, I'm a pastor (laughs) in a, in a, I would say a very, not a perfect church, but a way healthier mega church than what most mega churches, in my opinion, my humble opinion are. (laughs) And then I start thinking, I'm like, I just, I really think no matter what people say, no matter how they try to convince you otherwise, we are all in the same boat. So I started Mm -hmm. thinking about Mother Teresa and how meaningful her life was. And then we find out that she was scared shitless maybe yep. through the whole thing for all we know. <laughs> and and I, I really feel like leaders, spiritual leaders who don't come to any of those territories, they either really do believe that they have like reached this level of impenetrable truth or they're not admitting that they're scared sometimes, but, or, Mm. you know, they're, they're lying. They're going to quit soon or a a combination of the two. But I just like the, the more, the longer I'm a Christian and and I'm, I'll be curious to know whether or not you still consider yourself a Christian. I probably, that's probably the most annoying question ever. And I always ask it. So I apologize, but of course, yeah, yeah. it's like, uh, I just, I, I, I really feel we do not know. Now, as a Christian, I really do believe in Christ being the central of the universe. I do believe in a literal resurrection. And outside of that, if you say that you do know, then you kind of left Christianity because Christianity is about faith. I mean, just completely <laughs> about faith. But yeah, I know, and I tell people all this all the time because it, it can be an annoying question, but here you are really resourcing people with deconstruction. Where do you find yourself personally? Like, give us a little bit of your story, man. 
Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, deconstruction is uh, a complex mess. Like you yeah. said, it's 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 not um, something, you know, if we go, are you a Christian or not? For the most part, you can go, okay, I, maybe we have different definitions of Christian, right? A Baptist yeah. person might be slightly different to a Lutheran, might be slightly different to a charismatic, might be slightly different to a Catholic or an right. Orthodox. But, right. but on the whole, there is some orthodoxy, right? There's something that we all kind of agree on. Jesus being the center of the universe, like you said, maybe, you know, Jesus being deity, Jesus dying, yeah. raising, or whatever those central things are, you can tick a box and go, oh, so you're a Christian. Or, yeah. oh, I tick that box. Oh, you're a Muslim. Right. But there isn't really a box for people that deconstruct. Yeah. You know, they're going to be people that tick a myriad of boxes. And and so as we deconstruct, it's a lot less about where we end up than really the trajectory of the path we're on which is away from something usually our right. faith tradition that we grew up in or something and so i'm i'm definitely moving away from my faith tradition of growing up in kind of the evangelical protestant christian right. world um as i continue to map out and figure out what i believe i incorporate all kinds of different things different spiritual practices different ideologies and beliefs i don't hold to anything tightly yeah. as a belief i just yeah. don't like yeah. you know you just go well you know you've got to have faith that in something and i'm like yeah but i'd hold it loosely because generally speaking we're proven to be wrong very often right and so things like oh do i have faith that jesus was the son of god and died and rose again i'm like right there's a possibility right i'm not gonna put everything in on there right I, I, and and to me that's not massively relevant one way or another it's it's yeah. not a, a massively important um foundation for me personally yeah um i i don't use labels i don't identify as a christian i don't not identify as a christian i think that's a complex um complex thing anyway as a label because you have a whole spectrum of what christianity means people um identify with christian uh, christianity culturally people identify it as a system of beliefs or dogmas and and so to me i'm just like hey you listen to me and then label me when you're done right i don't really care what you label right you you can call me a muslim i don't really care i'm not a muslim i don't identify with islam <laughs> but if you call me an islam, a, a, a muslim i don't right. care that doesn't right. make any difference to me right. uh, you can title this podcast phil drysdale the muslim i don't yeah. care it doesn't do anything How to my phil identity or who I am. asshole would that offend you dude <laughs> get in line there's about 20 podcasts already about that um <laughs> hey no it's, I, it's, i'd lo- i'd love to hear more as 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 i assume my listeners heard also so I definitely, I would say I don't have too many conservative theological thinkers listening. I'd say there's some, but most have already been really in a deconstruction phase or they're kind of entering into it or they're, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, sure. uh, hey, we know Joey, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this whole sort of deal. But when you said that it's, I don't know if you use the words inconsequential or not, but that's basically what you were getting at when it comes to Jesus' sure. deity and and resurrection and and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, tell me more about that. I, I think it's going to be different based on the person, right? Yeah. Every deconstruction path is unique. Uh, so I tend not to focus too much on my personal path. So because people come to me and go, "Hey, tell me what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the cross? Which atonement theory do you believe? Which?" Uh, you know, uh, salvation model do you go by? Which prayers do you need to right. say to get in or out? You know, what do you believe Paul was talking about in Romans 1 verse 28? Like, these are things that if I give you my answer, we've not solved anything right. at all, 
right? Yeah. If I tell you this or that, we're just playing in an, in the same system. So, so early on in deconstruction, what you find is people are shifting away from some form of fundamentalism, dualistic, um, black and white thinking. Oh, so they fun have, to get away from they, that. Oh, my God. They, they've grown up in a world where, you know, they have had pastors, leaders, popes, uh, elders, parents tell them, this is what is true. You have to believe it because I'm the authority. I know about this. Hey, if you question me, I've got a Bible here and God says the Bible's true. So now we've got double backing all the way up to God. You have to believe what I say. Right. And, and if you question, like and if you're, if you question, you're in the danger of the fires of hell. Big trouble sure. to start yeah. questioning, right? Yeah. But what happens is generally speaking, when people start questioning, they don't leave that psychological framework because the truth is we like that. Yeah. We don't like it when we realize, oh, maybe my parents don't know what they're talking about. And actually, I read a blog or heard another pastor say in a podcast something different. And you're like, oh, now I feel uncomfortable. So I start questioning. And yeah. my parents or my pastor kicks me out. Okay, fine. But the truth is, I'm still in the same sort of psychological framework. What I want is the right answer. Yeah. I still think there's rights and wrongs and black and white and in and out. And so what I do is I start, quote unquote, deconstructing. I start unraveling in some of my faith but I just look to the next authority figure. I just right. find someone that's an authority in this space. You know, you joke about being a deconstructed uh, sensei or whatever, like you, you yeah. see me as. An, and, that, and that's it, right? I get hundreds of messages every day. This is what I do for a living. I, I help people process in their deconstruction. And of those hundreds of messages, at least 50, 60, 70 a day are, what do you think this means? What do you think that means? What do you think is going to happen here? Is there a hell? Is there not a hell? And I refuse to answer those questions. Yeah. Because people are coming to you for another form of certainty. And so when you go, well, Jesus is inconsequential to you. I'm like, yeah, but that's not important. What is Jesus to you? Because right. what I believe and how I've navigated and come to a certain place is utterly irrelevant to any other person on this planet. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe my parents who hope they get to see me in heaven or, you know, or something. Right. But. Right. But to, to you, it doesn't really matter. Maybe if you've got a good Christian conscience and you think I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe the right thing, you might try and appeal to me and get me to change my beliefs. But generally speaking, what's really important to you is what do you believe about Jesus? Yeah. And so to me, I will sit with people and go, hey, let's look at all the different options. What questions do you have about Jesus? Oh, well, here's five or six different books that look at that question, that draw, that they come to different conclusions and you can educate yourself and try and figure out what you believe. But I want to put the power constantly in the other person's hands because right. ultimately, when you pass through that early stage of deconstruction, which is really scary, the reason, one of the reasons it's so scary is because we still believe in such black and white, in, out, right, wrong, good, bad. You know, there's a right way to interpret life and there's a right way to interpret the Bible. There is something you do that gets you to heaven and there's something you don't do and that puts you in hell. You know, when you're thinking so black and white, it's bloody terrifying. Yeah. Because the truth is you question something and the pastor's saying, well, you're going to spend eternity in hell, mate. And, right. I, and you're waking up in cold sweats at night, oh right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So no wonder you jump on your DMs and message me and go, dude, what is the answer? Just tell me right. the answer. Right. And no wonder you get a little bit pissed off when I say, well, here's seven different answers and I'm not sure I believe any of them, but have a look through those and then right. see what else you come up with. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I, I would appeal to your uh, listeners who did jump up and go, oh, what? Christianity? Yeah. You think Jesus is inconsequential? Or, um, I don't think Jesus is inconsequential. I think Jesus has shaped the history of the planet so far in the last 2,000 years. I think it's very consequential. Um, personally, to me, some of the components of what I believe about Jesus are, are relatively inconsequential. But I'd say, why does that stir you up? Why does that get you upset? Why do you think Jesus is so consequential? Have you thought about that? Have you explored that? Does it bother you? 
don't don't question it if it doesn't you know right. follow your curiosity but to me if you're getting really riled up by something ooh yeah dive in there you know like start tearing that apart yeah because so, that's interesting yeah so random question to get off this path and then i want to jump back on you don't have to go into it a whole <laughs> lot but what do you think is going to happen when you die like do you are you um you go like lights out party's over you're done for good do you think that there's any sort of afterlife or, or of any kind i'm just curious it's a great question, right? I mean, we, we just don't know. I mean, the yeah. Bible doesn't know. The Bible holds to many different positions on this. Um, and so with, even within the Bible and within the early Christian tradition, there's a various views of, of what the afterlife might look like. The Jews early on didn't believe in an afterlife. They just believed you rotted in the ground. And maybe a, a handful of people would be granted this kind of thing called conditional immortality. So a couple yeah. of people that were especially good get to go to heaven or something. And then we evolve and we change and we adapt and we bring on Zoroastrianism and we start to believe in a heaven and a hell and the good people go one place. And But the truth is, as, as you read and see that uh, procession and, and change as we go along through history, you go, oh, we're making this up as we go along. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't know. We don't right. know. And and the truth is, even through early Christianity, you see different people in the, in the New Testament. They're not sure either. And they had Jesus around to tell them. And they're writing different views. Matthew is an annihilationist. Paul seems to lean towards Christian universalism toward the ends of his life. So what's going on there? Like these guys should at least agree if they kind of are following yeah. this guy, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I, I look at stuff like that and I'm like, okay, clearly we don't know. Um, maybe we become worm food. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know anyone that's gone there. Come back and give me a detailed account, which lines up with all the other detailed accounts. You Wait, go, well, have all you these not Christians. Seen... Yeah. Have... Oh yeah. All these Christians come back from the dead and they give me an amazing account of how scary hell was. And, and the truth is they're all different accounts. Some yeah. of them line up. Others don't. Have you ever typed into Google Islam? near-death experience hindu near-death experience guess what they're all having crazy like visions and near-death experiences too and yeah. guess what none of them meet like jesus who has like a hey well this is what hell is i want you to go back and save everyone you know that yeah. doesn't happen for yeah. them they have yeah. something that it reinforces allah or and um, they meet you know um whoever it might be hanuman the monkey god or you know like right. they yeah. have these different experiences and so it just shows our bias to go, oh, look, but we've got the, the kid that came back. Look, we made yeah. a movie. That's the movie I was going to mention, and he later <laughs> right. said that he wasn't telling the truth. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. My mom told me to tell this or whatever. Um, but even if he did, right, there's plenty of other people that seem they've given their whole life to this thing, and they seem yeah. very intentional. You know, one of the things I loved, I don't know if you've seen it. If you watch Surviving Death on Netflix, it's a little yeah. series. Yeah. Fascinating. Go watch yeah. that. It's, it's a bit weak. Most of the episodes are not that interesting. The first episode talks about people that die um, and come back and and share their experiences. And I don't think any of them were Christian. Right. And they all have these really fascinating experiences. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then the last episode talks. They talk to children that have really vivid memories of their of past lives. And you're talking like four year olds that go, "Oh yeah, um, when I I miss my my last mom and dad." And uh, they're like, "What?" You know, the parents are like, "Wait, what's going on here?" But then when they sat down with a psychologist, the psychologist looked into the person's. Uh, that he was talking about. They found out where he was. Yeah, it was a kid that was murdered in a park. It was a really awful story. He could name his parents. And then they went to the the online. They got the pictures of the parents' like house. They got the pictures of the local park. And they put it with four other different pictures right. of local parks, different parks. And they were like, which park did your mom take you to? That one. Which picture of these four people was your dad? That one. Which one was your mom? That one. Five out of five he got. And yeah. so you go, 
oh, I don't know. Maybe we get reincarnated. My point is we don't know. But I do think there's stuff going on, right? This is what's beautiful. This is what's exciting is there's more to this than just a rational reductionistic um, we're a bunch of molecules that yeah. have gained sentience. I, yeah. I really do believe there's something going on in this, yeah. this universe. What is consciousness? I don't yeah. know, but I think there's right. something that lives on or yeah. is, is beyond. Sorry, I told yeah. you I ramble. <laughs> no, no. You know, it's it's interesting because your your posture, I feel, is good for all fundamentalists that believe in a heaven or hell. And what I mean by that is when, when I was in that sort of paradigm, it killed me when I heard of Dave Bazan, the lead singer of Pedro the Lion, turning his back on God because I thought, oh, my, man, I love that guy. He's going to go to hell. Or mm-hmm. the pastor that you respected that just doesn't believe anymore. You're like, well, what do I believe? You know, it's it's such a... Oh, it's a crisis when you see that. But bottom line is you cannot escape the fact that what you believe represents, like especially your brand of Christianity, represents mm-hmm. such a small fragment of, of the population. So it's just like just just lit you have to live in that tension that there are, are are Christians that are no longer Christians anymore. There are Christians who think that Christianity is ridiculous, and all you have is your faith. All you have is mm-hmm. your life. All you have is, is your brain. And so I, I hear you. And honestly, like back in the, back in the day in my, in my former way of thinking, I would be like, well, man, you know, this, this kind of sucks because you're not, you're not believing the right way. And gosh, that means that you're probably going to go to hell and, and all that sort of thing. I think now where I'm at, like I, my, my listeners know that I, I really have invested a lot of time and energy and studying into different beliefs of salvation in the afterlife. And I, I really am becoming more and more convinced of what, what you said as far as Paul's latter years of, of mm-hmm. ministry and, and just universalism. And I don't know though, until someone crosses that line, so to speak, I don't know how a more fundamentally wired up a person does not freak out when they hear someone talk like that because hell is such a real thing and an eternal burning or eternal separation is such a big deal and so i often like i i saw where and and i'm actually i'm not super informed i i do think it's kind of a, a neat thing that makes me giggle a little bit honestly that there is it's it's almost like the fundamental fundamentalists have discovered that deconstruction is even a thing. And you've been talking right. about that a little bit. And I don't necessarily see those folks that are, are trying to denounce it and put that fire out. I, I, I'm sure some of them are just, you know, kind of wicked people. They're just trying to maintain power and, and, and all that. But I think a lot of them Very few, are though. really caring and concerned mm-hmm. and they think, man, we've got to fight this because it's going to lead tons and tons of people to hell. Would you, would you agree that a lot of fundamentalists that are pushing back, they're doing it with good intentions? Only like I don't think there's anyone really that's not doing it with good intentions on yeah. the whole. I think even these wicked people probably have a very warped perspective to think that what they're doing is good oh, as well. So Everyone's healthy. the good guy, uh, right? See, that, you that, know, that yeah. Hitler thought he was doing the right good thing. He right. was absolutely wrong, probably, but right. he thought he was the good guy. You know, like you've seen that's that comedy so good, sketch, man. right, with the Nazis in the bunker, and then they suddenly sit down and go. Are, are we the bad guys, right? right. You know, like, right. we we all have that woken up moment where we go, oh wait, maybe I'm not on the right side of history here. Yeah, but 
the people that were segregating back in history, um, you know, they thought they were doing the right thing. The people that owned slaves thought they were doing the right thing. The right. people that went and performed genocides and took out other nations because they were Muslims or because they were Christians thought they were the right people doing the right thing. Right. They were so misinformed. We're not saying that any of that is healthy or right. It's terrible. And we've woken up and moved forward some more than others and, right. and hopefully a lot more to come. But the point being that, you know, we're all doing the best that we can with the current state of development we've come to. I think, to me, understanding psychological development is a huge component of this. And, yeah. and very few people do understand that um, psychology, over the last hundred years, there's been a lot of work put into the developmental theory of how humans grow and develop. And what we found over hundreds of different models is that humans grow in a very linear path. They do grow in a fairly linear path. If you put 20 kids down as they're born, they will grow up in the same pattern, right? They will go from being completely unable to differentiate between themselves and anything else, including the blanket they're holding. Eventually, they will start to dis uh, distance themselves from objects and go, oh, wait, that's an object. This is me. Then they'll start to recognize, oh, people are different things. Yep. But they still think they magically control them on some level. Then they start to build a bit of empathy and realize, oh, that person is like me, but different right. than me. Right. And they have feelings like me, but they might be different feelings. And, and, we, and we continue to grow and develop. And part of developmental theory points to the fact that most humans over the last few hundred years kind of sort of stagnated at a stage called conventional or traditional. And that stage really, what it does, and it's a beautiful stage, it's an important stage, we don't get very far as humans without developing a stage of traditional conventional thinking. But what yeah. it does is it trusts leaders, authorities, parents to know what's best for you, to understand, to give some rules, to give some frameworks, to, you know, um, tell you what the right thing to do is, what's wrong, what will happen next, to give you some sort of like foundation in this life, yeah. right? If you're, you know, a kid in life, you need that, right? right. If, if we're, if we wouldn't have police, we wouldn't have democracy, we wouldn't have governments, we wouldn't have healthcare without these kind of things. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, people move beyond that and they move into a stage that's more commonly known as individualistic or modern. Um, and that stage suddenly starts to value uh, logic, rationalism, thinking for yourself, developing the individual, uh, you know, self-help, these kind yeah. of things. And, and, and what it does is it doesn't get rid of the prior stage. It still values that, but it says, well, it's not just about that. And actually people that are authorities because they're your mom and dad doesn't mean they know everything. Yeah. Maybe mom and dads don't know as much as that doctor. If I get shot, I'm going to go to a doctor, not my mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if I need to know, um, about the Bible, I'm probably going to go on the internet before I actually ask my pastor who's never been to Bible college, but became the pastor because he was the last pastor's kid. Right. Or, or, right. Whatever. I don't know. You know, right. the point being, you start to recognize that certain authorities don't actually know everything and you right. can think and rationalize. Right. And, and what's happened in thought. deconstruction? <laughs> well, well, people didn't think. I think this is the point of de developmental theory is people up until that point don't see the next point. They don't, they don't understand that right. way of thinking because they haven't developed to that point of thinking. Yeah. Um, so they do it in some ways, but it's within the same framework. Um, and there's bleeding of these developmental levels as well. So people are at multiple stages in multiple areas. Yeah. It's where you see people that are really rational, logical scientists that walk in the door on a Sunday and immediately take off their scientist hat and believe the world was 6,000 years old and was made in seven days. And yeah. you're like, what, how does that person do that? It's amazing, but right. it, but it happens. Yeah. But the point being that when you deconstruct, you step into that new stage. You're starting to question. You're starting to think for yourself. 
people at the prior stage aren't doing that. They're not looking to question authority. They're not looking to doubt the Bible. They're not reading the Bible with a logical, rational sense. It's logical to them how they read the Bible. Yeah. So the problem is you have two people thinking they're logical, thinking they're rational, but one is using a different set of parameters right you see this do you remember when rob bell did his love wins book and everyone yep. crucified him and then but then he would do these interviews on tv and they put him on tv with like an evangelical pastor and they give him like one minute each to convince the other person and you're like well that's gonna work right but the evangelical pastor just opens his bible and starts reading passages about hell and goes well what do you do with that rob and you can right. see rob just thinking for sake well like where do i even begin right because i'm gonna have to dismantle um historical context we're going to have to dismantle how the jews read the bible how how christians read the bible throughout history we're gonna have to look at those passages in context i mean i read the bible differently from you so just to address that would take a four-hour lecture never mind the one minute it just isn't going to happen and this is what you're looking at you're looking at people that are at these different stages but both are so well-meaning Right. right. So when you tell your mom, hey, mom, I'm not in the same place as you in, in faith anymore. I still hold to some Christian. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to go to church anymore. Or I love yeah. Jesus, but I disagree with your pastor and I'm not part of that domination anymore. I can't do it. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I'm becoming a progressive Christian or God forbid I've become an atheist or an agnostic right. or I'm starting to dabble in Buddhism or, you know, something really that's even more scary to, yeah. uh, you know, maybe we can include you if you're a progressive Christian. But if you're playing with Buddhism, well, you're definitely right. going to hell. Right. But yeah. Yeah, I've, it's, I feel- it's terrifying for your 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 mom to yeah. hear that because she only hears I have gone from in to out. She right. can't differentiate or use that nuance or look at it from yeah. that perspective that you're in. Yeah, and I think that whether or not someone is afraid of that sort of thing or defensive of that sort of thing, it it is. I can't think of any other major uh, impact of that or 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 cause of that. Is how we read the Bible. I mean, there's there's no way that you can that it that that's what it boils down to. I mean, because here here's how here's how I feel is I feel that you you are wrong. I feel that Jesus is the centerpiece of the universe. He did die and r- rise from the dead. First of all, I really do believe it. But then second of all, it's fun to believe it. Like even when I'm doubt, mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, I, I I like hanging on to this. But but here's here's where because of how I read the Bible now, I feel like. I believe that you have found like God has allowed you to find probably a level of salvation in this life to where you've got peace of mind. You enjoy loving people and that God can, can work through anything to, to bring people to freedom, regardless of what their beliefs are. And and, and again, I believe it's all centered around Jesus, but I even start to think, man, gosh, isn't God big enough to, to work through uh, people who grow up in different cultures and different religions, but all of this is connected to the fact that in the end, I really do think that Jesus saves everyone. So I, I would even see right. someone who has strayed completely away, but maybe found some health and some restoration in an atheistic perception of the world, I could see God saying, you know what, I'm going to use that person to help other atheists because, man, it's hard to lose your faith. And I hate that people are losing their faith because I do want to be a good God to them and all that stuff. But since they're losing their faith and that's hard, I'm going to use this atheist to kind of bring some people, just because I think at the end, it, it, uh, you know, I love wins, (laughs) quote Rob Bell. I, I believe that. And for people to, in my, like a lot of my evangelical family and I don't I don't mean blood family including my blood family but I call evangelicals as as a whole uh, mm-hmm. family 
it's when they feel uncomfortable with this and they push back on this, I feel like if you turn to scripture and you see what Jesus's and Paul's priorities are, you mm-hmm. can't even argue what I just said. I mean, literally backing Jesus into a corner, what's the most, most important thing? Well, just first, you know, make sure you're loving yourself as you love others and and love God. Like it's all about love. And then even Paul is just like, nothing else matters. Except sure. faith expressing itself through love, so it's just it just feels it it feels so good, and I, and and I can understand because I lived as a fundamentalist for so long. I understand that people see me as well. You're just picking and choosing this cakewalk sure. of a faith, and golly, if if that was the case, then <laughs> I sure as hell would not have gone through all of that painful, painful because it would have been easier to stay a fundamentalist been easier. I would have known how to talk to my kids about God. I would have known exactly the things to say, don't do this, do do this. This is what you believe. This is what you don't believe. It would have been way easier. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. it's been hard. I mean, I literally started having kids in 2006, had our last kid in 2012. My daughter, the oldest one, she remembers when I was trying to appeal to her younger age saying that Yes, I do believe in hell. It's just kind of like an eternal timeout. She remembers those conversations, and now she's just like, yeah, you don't believe in hell anymore. I remember when you used to. And man, I, I sometimes I feel like, golly, I don't know how exactly to interact with my kids when it comes to faith, but now it's kind of easy. Hey, your dad believes that Jesus died and rose from the dead mm-hmm. and won. He completely won, yep. and I tell them, why would you ever want to walk away from God who loves you unconditionally? Like, you are fine. When you make mistakes, he loves you. Or, uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I, the, the pronouns don't even bother me when people are just like, well, sure. why don't I say she? Well, that's, that's fine with me as well. And I also am cool with people sticking with the father sort of deal. But just I try to tell them, look, God loves you no matter what. Why would you ever want to walk away from that peace of mind and that freedom? Yep. And oh, yeah. The biggest thing that we can do in this life is accept and love other people and, oh, yeah, challenge ourselves to even love our enemies. Love the and, mm. and dude, Phil, you probably know this, but, man, kids growing up in this day and age, it is really hard as a parent to try and we'll just use the word disciple my kids to not cancel every single person who is not gay affirming or every single person that voted for Trump. It's just like people sure. are more complicated. And that's why I just love what what you said as far, you know, and one of my questions, and I don't have to ask it anymore. One of my questions was like, do you, do you are you motivated by anger and uh, and I can obviously tell that that's that's not the case and um sure but man it is it is hard teaching kids not to write people off well i I think the thing is you're you're giving them a great example because they are literally seeing someone change before their eyes i think the best thing you can do for kids is to to demonstrate i change my beliefs i believe stuff i live with conviction you know me as the guy that was definitely very convinced that there was a hell and i was trying to explain that to you and now i'm definitely convinced there isn't and i'm trying to explain that to you but the thing that you pick up along the way is that i'm someone that is convicted enough to live what i believe but open enough to consistently change that's a great model to give a kid to say look live what you believe today but be open to change tomorrow right that 
is the best thing you could do with faith. And, yeah. and, and, and ultimately, I mean, this is what brings people to where they are. You know, you mentioned like, why would someone walk away from God? No one chooses that. No person right. chooses right. to walk away right. from God. They are dragged away, kicking and screaming, going, I don't want to do this, but I have no choice. Mm-hmm. In the same way that once you take that pill, you're like, well, I can't believe in a God that sends people to hell for eternity. Right. Like, it's just not on the table anymore. Right. So looking at the options, I have to pick one of the other options. I have to yep. pick annihilationism. Yep. I have to pick Christian universalism. Yep. I have to pick that. At a certain point, someone has an experience, whatever it is, it's a different experience from someone like maybe you or I have had where they go, God's not on the table anymore. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Um, There's post-theistic thought that doesn't mean that you're an atheist or or, or even agnostic. You can still live very convicted, but you do not hold to a monotheistic position that there is a God. Um, And and you are devastated by that because you have for 20, 25 years had the most passionate, amazing life with this person called Jesus, with this God, this, this father, this spirit. You've had a relationship where you talk with them all day, every day. You spend hours in prayer. You've read the Bible every day. You know, this is not, you know, and then you've got to process what that means. When, when they looked at people that um, are deconstructing, what's interesting is they found that the people that deconstruct compared to people in the church, if you grabbed a uh, hundred people in churches, and just took an average of them, and you took 100 people that have deconstructed and took an average of them, the people that have deconstructed read the Bible more. They prayed when they were Christians. They read the Bible more than the average Christian. They prayed more than the average Christian. They attended church more than the average Christian. They had a stronger faith than the average Christian. They attended church more. They volunteered more. They're more likely to be on staff. They're more likely to be pastors. They're more likely to have Bible degrees. People that are more passionate about their faith are more likely to leave it. Yeah. which is really fascinating. Yeah. And so actually one of the best things you can do as a pastor is disciple a kind of meh attitude. That's the best thing you can do. Kind of get them so they're keen, they enjoy Jesus, they enjoy Christianity, but don't get them too passionate or they might get a bit too close to how the sausage is made or something. And obviously, lots of people very passionate don't leave. I'm right. not saying that everyone oh, yeah. passionate leaves. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that it increases your likelihood that you'll end up deconstructing. Yeah. And so what the point being is that people don't choose to leave. Right. No passionate Christian goes, oh, in five years, I hope I become an atheist or agnostic, or I hope I become a progressive Christian on the slippery slope. No passionate right. Christian has ever thought those things. I would have died at the thought of where I would be in 10 years, 10 right. years ago. Yeah. yeah I, I would have like, dragged myself yep. kicking and screaming from hell to save me. Right. Um, Absolutely. And now I don't believe in hell. Yep. So yep. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And yeah, what was... you talk about with Christian universalism is huge because I will say across the board, people that within their Christianity deconstruct from a tradition, I hate the word traditional, from a uh, conventional belief of a heaven and hell to something more like Christian universalism. People that do that and then move on to and something else there's a lot of us, by the way. There's a lot of us. Oh, huge, huge Tons. portion. Huge yep. portion. And historically, massive, massive portion. Of That's people. what people don't know. Um, no, because we, we we tell our own story. We all do it, right? We all pick and choose. The, the, the evangelical says, you're just picking and choosing scriptures. I'm picking and choosing yep. scriptures. Everyone's picking yep. and choosing their scriptures. Yep. Um, but the, the people that do transition into Christian universalism and then deconstruct further beyond Christianity into something maybe different or a, a totally, completely reimagined Christianity, those people have so much of an easier time knowing they're falling back on, well, if I'm wrong, 
God's not sending me to hell. Mm -hmm. He's all good. He's loving. He's going to still welcome everyone in. He's going to work with people until they're ready to receive his love. Like that position that you have to fall back on. Right. That makes raising kids easier, right? Because, right. well, if I fuck up entirely, we've got yeah. eternity to figure this thing out. Well, yeah, it's it, yeah, you know, like, that's it's, a nice thought. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I, I'm, at a, I'm at a stage, there's a part of me that's just like has that attitude as far as universalism. But sometimes I can dip my toe back into fundamentalism and I think, well, if people do burn in hell, I, if, if I'm not saved, like someone who's just... Right prayed the sinner's prayer a million times like like I, I i think sometimes if hell's real i know that i'm not going but that's 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 definitely a a very rare thought but yeah i was just talking yeah. to someone about universalism and and we have a great deal of mutual respect she's an elder of our church and she totally disagrees and i you know i was saying to her i was like uh, the exact thing that you said i was like uh amy i have met too many people who have told me i would do anything to believe in God. Like I would want that anchor so bad. And I, I just, I just can't. And for God to burn that person forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's like Joey as a human being trying to communicate to ants through the queen ant, like figuring out how the queen ant communicates to all her ants. And I basically through her communication, I just, I try to get her to communicate them about humanity. And if they can't figure it out through what she's saying, I'm going to torture those ants. It just, it's so like, I tell people all the time, it is okay for that not to make sense anymore, man. That does not line up. It just doesn't line up. But at a certain point you start to go, God, really? After like even Hitler, after like 10 zillion years, God's kind of going, all right, this is kind of getting vindictive. Like, I mean, he's, he's punished. Like, uh, you know, at a certain point you're like, uh, so are we saying we're more moral than God? No. Which brings us to basically the point where you go, well, even if I'm wrong, even if I'm wrong and God is somehow torturing people for eternity because they uh, didn't say a prayer and actually otherwise were pretty nice, better than most Christians, but they're they're tortured for eternity. I'm like, well, fuck that God. Right. I'll go to hell too. Right. I don't want to spend eternity with this kind of person. Right. I'm I'm above that. I have morally developed beyond this Bronze Age God. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's why our God needs to be big enough yep. and broad enough to grow up with us as we grow up our understanding. It's like in so have you ever read the Narnia series? Nope, nope. Familiar. Very with very that. famous series. Oh yeah, a brilliant oh, yeah, book. It in um. In, I think it's Prince Caspian, one of the girls sees Aslan for the first time in a whole year. She's been back on Earth and she comes back to Narnia and, and she sees Aslan, who's this picture of God, right? right? And she goes, oh my gosh, Aslan, this big lion. She's like, you're so much bigger. Yeah, um, praise. And he's I, like, I, you almost got to praise God out of me, man. Oh, but wait for it. Wait for it. What does he say? He says, no. He says, I've not grown up at all. But every year you grow, you'll see me bigger. I love that. And this is it. This is the point. The point is, God, if there is a God, if there is a divine, if there's a thing that holds this universe together, that runs it through, the Christ, the thing that is in Jesus and in you and in me, the the the, the spirit that animates our life, the thing that makes Jesus divine is the same thing that makes you and I divine. Yep. That, as we grow up, we see it bigger. Yep. Yep. It doesn't change. It's yep. never changed. Yep. But we're no longer running around worshipping the sun because it went down and we're scared the moon god has defeated the sun god. Right. You know, we've grown up. Right. And and because of that, we can see this divine thing is bigger, 
healthier, more moral, more loving, more expensive, more inclusive, yep. doesn't obsess about which orifice you put a penis and things right. like that. You know, like it, this God is bigger than that. Right. Um, and which we didn't have the capacity to do 2000 years ago. Yeah. And let, let, let me, for, for some of our maybe more evangelically uh, wired listeners, I'll, I'll, I'll back that one with scripture, Matthew seven, where he says, look, if your father knows how to give good gifts to you, then what do you expect out of a heavenly, perfectly good father? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I've, I recently talked to someone about the whole justice thing. Well, yeah, that wouldn't be a, a just God to just let everybody go to heaven. I'm like, <laughs> it would not be a just God to, to have things where, I mean, a, a just God, may, if people are going to go to hell forever, then maybe a just God would be a God that comes to earth and all of God's splendor to where you cannot doubt, oh my gosh, in the pit of my soul, I cannot help but to believe this is God. If that God did that every single day and people were still just like, well, F you, then okay, sure. I could say, see maybe <laughs> some justice, but it's it's the, it's the like the opposite. Like there's so yeah. many people scratching their heads trying to figure things out and it's just, it's unfortunately, it's, it's not obvious. And I... Well, as, as someone who believes in the resurrection, I'm glad that I don't have to think you're going to hell, my man. I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, me too. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I'm not planning on going for sure. Um, but that's a great example as well. So justice is a great example of developmental theory again, because we understand justice is important, right? So we go, God is love and everyone goes, yeah, but he's just. And I'm like, wait, so you think justice is a but to love? It's different from love? Because to me, justice is love. Yeah. But this is why I can say that we have developed as humans. So if you look at prisons in the developed world, America's not a great example, I'm sorry, and neither is the UK where I am. We're, we're a bit slow. The UK is doing better, but not much. Right. Um, but what we've done over the last 20, 30 years is we've started to experiment. And we've said, hey, people go to prison for a reason. And we put people in prison because they did something wrong to punish them, to keep society safe. So we yep. put them there for 20 years and then they come out and they've, they're basically the same person because we haven't done anything. And We've not actually asked, why did they hurt that person? Why did they steal? Why did they murder? Why did they rape? You know, whatever it is. And surely, if I had been in their shoes, maybe I would have been in prison. Yeah. And so what some of the more developed countries in this world have done, have said, what if we put people in prison to keep society safe? Yeah, so someone just murdered someone. Let's not, you know, let them run around on the streets. Let's get them out of that. And then let's sit down and let's give them therapy. Let's ask them what's going on. Let's give them group therapy. Let's give them skills. Let's try and work through their wounds and their hurts. And let's try and develop people skills and things like that. And what we found in in these countries that are doing this is recidivism rates, the rates of people that leave prison and end up back in prison, dropped from about 85% to about 13%. And very quickly we went, holy crap, we've been doing justice wrong. Justice is to heal people, not punish them. Right. We we still keep them away from society. I'm not saying like give all the murderers knives and say go out there and be have fun. No no no. We we take them away and we go look. You've got some work to do. And all good Christians know this is true. Working on your shit is more of a punishment than just being forgiven. Right. Right. When God forgives you and then you go yeah, but I need to change. I need to do some work in me to become a better, more healthy, more Christ-like person. That's the hard part, right. right? That's hard. It's harder than being punished for doing something wrong is, is facing the wrong you've done and, and working through it. Yeah. And, and so what's interesting is what we're realizing is in a worldly model, we've learned that punishment is not justice. Healing is justice. Yeah. What's fascinating is Christians have gone, wait, so humans have got a better model of justice than God. 
okay, I guess so, because we're going to keep with the punishment. Right. No, what we should be doing is going, oh, again, we've grown. We've grown up. Can we look at God differently? Yes, we look at God and go, oh, God, we once thought you punished to fix things, but now we realize you heal to fix things. And isn't that the message of Jesus if ever there was one? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just so obvious. But again, it's, it's these developments, it's these growths. And yep. we have to be willing for our faith to expand into our broadening human consciousness, which is continually growing and developing. Yep. If we don't, our faiths will die. And yep. they are dying, the ones yep. that aren't moving forward and expanding. So, Phil, I think the God of the Bible is using you, man. <laughs> hey, I'm going to let I you— agree. I'm, I'm going to let you close, and I'm going to actually quote you, but then I'm going to tell you something really funny. So next time you think, this is this is from Phil, everybody, next time you think your job is stressful, remember that there are youth pastors out there who think it's their job to stop teenage boys from whacking. Now, here's what's funny. <laughs> My autocorrect, here's what it changes to. Next time you think your job is stressful, remember that there are youth pastors out there who think it's their job to stop teenage boys from walking. <laughs> walking. <laughs>